Good morning. How are we doing? This is it. This is the last week of our Lost and Found. Um, we call these mini-series because we've been in, in Luke for a while. We call that true story. Um, we like to call things things because it helps us like little hat racks. You kind of hang your hat and kind of know where you are in the Bible. But um, we've, we've been looking at Luke for a while. It's called True Story. And every now and then what we'll do is we'll take a section of Luke and we'll kind of break it up and we'll make it its own little mini-series. And so this has been our nine-week mini-series called Lost and Found. We've been in Luke chapter 13, 14, and 15. So you can turn, uh, grab your Bibles or your Bible app and make your way to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in verses 11 through 32. And while you're turning there, let me do this. I need to kind of set the framework, like give us um, some context of where we are, what we're going to be talking about, kind of help you understand um, where, where I am, where you may be. So let me just start with a statement that is true about any organization, okay? So if you're here because you love Jesus, then you're a part of the church. If you're here because um, you're not sure if you love Jesus and you're not even sure if you like the Bible or church, but somebody paid you to come or is going to buy you lunch afterwards, you probably work at a business. You're a part of an organization. Some of you I know are teachers, and so you're part of schools, uh, education system. This is true of any organization, okay, especially the church. But here's the truth. The longer we're in that organization, the longer we're in that church, the less we remember what it was like to not be in it. Okay? I mean, I probably set that up and made it so, so, so confusing. So the longer we're in a church, the easier it is to forget what it was like to not be in the church. Okay? So we start using um, terms. We start using, uh, you'll hear people say like Christianese, like you say words and all the insider people know what it is. Have you ever been to a party and heard inside jokes and everybody starts laughing? You're just like, <laughs> you don't get it, right? It's like that's the most awkward feeling to hear other people talking about something and you have no idea what it is. That's kind of what it's like. The longer we're in church, the, the more we f- forget what it was like to be outside, okay? And so this morning we're going to see here in, in our passage in Luke chapter 15, one of the things that God wants us to do is remember, kind of remember what it was like to be outside. Remember that all of us at one time were outsiders. Now I asked you to turn to Luke 15, and now I'm going to ask you to keep your finger there or whatever you do when it's digital. I don't know what you do when it's digital, but put your finger on your phone and flip somewhere else. But go to Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, I want to read to you really quickly Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And this is what Paul writes, okay. He's, he's writing to a church. Okay, like he's writing to us, all right? Here's what he says. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. We're not going to go into circumcision and the whole process, but let's just suffice it to say that in the church at Ephesus, as they were reading this, all the men were like, right, okay? Um, what he's saying, that can sound super religious, uncircumcised, circumcised. What he's saying is, listen, you're Gentiles, which means that you weren't in the club because that was a Jewish club, and you were outside the club, and don't forget that you were Gentiles, and you used to be not part of this deal. That's what he's saying. Let's keep going, verse 12. So he said, remember once, and here he says it again, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Basically, you couldn't join the club. But, the Bible's full of buts and we love them. Here are, but now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Little inside scoop. That verse right there, that's why our church values the word near. You hear us say a lot, at the gathering we, we live near God, near man, making disciples. We exist to live near God in order to be sent to, by God to those far from him. Near comes from that verse. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's keep going. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose, in other words, why did Jesus do all this? Why did he go through all this trouble? Why did he come from heaven? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he do all of that? Like channel your inner two-year-old. Why, 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 why? And here's what Paul says. The reason he did it was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Here's the deal. What Paul's saying there is, don't forget who you were. Don't forget where you were. Remember, don't get so caught up in being insiders now that you forget what it was like when you were an outsider. Remember that. That's what he's saying. Why is that so important? Because in Luke chapter 15... Jesus has been telling these three stories. We talked about two of them last week. We're talking about the last one today. And he told these three stories in response to people in the club who forgot what it was like to be on the outside. Remember back up in verse 2 that the Pharisees and the religious leaders started to mutter. It's never good when you mutter, right? They started to mutter, and here's what they, here's what they started to say. This fellow, Jesus, eats with bad people. He eats with outsiders, why would he do that? Da, 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 da. That sounds like church people, right? And so Jesus tells these three stories because he's addressing that issue. And he's trying to get their attention. Don't forget what it was like to be outsiders. And, and, and we run the risk. And like The gathering is six years old, right? We run the risk. I've been here since day one. Actually, I was here pre-day one because we were part of the pre-launch stuff. But a lot of you came year, year two, year three. And maybe you came last year. Maybe this is your first week here. But a lot of us have been a part of this for quite some time. And it's so easy to forget what it was like when we weren't. And Jesus is saying, remember, remember. I, I don't know, parents, um, if this is true of you. I, I, it probably is. What if we were raising the next viral sensation? Wouldn't that be awesome? Especially if there aren't 18 yet. Right? Cha-ching, cha-ching. All the money comes to us. We would tell our kids, hey, this is great. I'm taking all the money you're making on YouTube, and I'm putting it in an account to pay for your college. You're going to go to Stanley, right, and then I'm going to use the rest of it for me. That's the way that would work. What if we were raising the next viral sensation? And what if, oh, my God, and not, not, not just parents. I mean, I'm honestly talking about teachers. Because you know, what, what if you had these students in your classes, right? So what if we had the next viral sensation, and not only did they become the next it, but they really believed that they were it, Oh, have you been around people like that? They get full of themselves, don't they? Now, if you're a parent or if you're a teacher that they really respect, here's what you would say to that teenager. Now, you might choose different words, and maybe we can't repeat the words that you would use, but we would say something like this, right? Something like, remember who you are. 
Remember where you came from. Acting all that and this and that. You're from Stanley County. That's, that's, what we, that's how we would say it. And not in a derogatory way. It's like, man, get grounded back in where you were. Remember who you are and where you came from. It's important that we remember who we are and where we came from. And in Luke 15, we're going to see a story about a dad and two sons. And that is the simple message of this story. Is that dad is saying to those two sons, remember who you are. Remember where you came from. We're going to read it, and then um, we'll talk through the three characters. Here we go. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Um, Jesus continued, because he's been teaching these two stories. Here's the third one. He says, there was a man who had two sons. So we know right away there's three characters. There's only three characters. That's all there are, a man and two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He, has lo he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking this morning that you would do what only you can do by your spirit. And that is to open our eyes to see the truth of your word and to see the truth about ourselves. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going I'm to split this up in um, three sections, okay? So we've got the younger son, the father, and the older son. And what I've done is I have enlisted the help of a world-renowned artist 
to draw pictures that represent each one of these. Will, my son, and he is amazing. So, um, so what, what I want you to get is I realized that we could have retitled this story a lot of different things. We could have called it The Lost Sons and the Father Who Loved Them. We could have called it The Three Arms, right? So um, what I've done is I've taken arms as a metaphor, and so each one of these three boys Three men in the story are represented by a type of arm, okay? So you can see right away the younger son here. We, we could have said all kinds of stuff, like, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. We could have done all kinds of stuff. But what we'll see in the story is what really characterizes the younger son is a broken arm. Let's just do this. I'm going to go verse by verse. I know it sounds like it's going to take forever, but it won't. It'll, it'll make a lot of sense. It'll shed a lot of light on this story. I want to make sure you get the whole, the whole picture of it, okay? what Jesus was really talking about, and then we'll make some observations at the end. So here we go. Younger son, we meet him in verse 12. So the younger son wants what he wants when he wants it, okay? It says that he, he went to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided, he the dad, divided his property between them. Now what that means is he went to his dad and he said this, I kind of wish you were dead. Now, I know as a teen or a preteen, you might know that you have some inheritance money coming your way. And when you go to Taco Bell and you whip out your phone to pay with, like, your smartphone and realize there's only money for one taco, you might think to yourself, God, I wish I had my inheritance right now. But you would never actually say out loud to your dad, I wish you were dead. But this boy said that to his father. Now, dad's in the room. If you're like me, your chest is already a little tighter. You're already seeing a little white around the peripheral, right? You're thinking like, I'm going to kill him, right? I'm going to kill him. I'm not going to die. But this father gave him his share of the estate. Even, even being disrespected that much, he gave him his share. And, the, and his share was one-third. In this culture, just the way they did it, the older son got two-thirds of the estate. The younger son got one-third. And so the dad divided his shares, he gave one-third to the younger son, and he gave two-thirds to the older son. And what did the boy do with that one-third? It says, next verse, not long after that. Have you ever been in a hurry to get away from something? This boy was ready to get out of there, right? He got his money. He didn't wait around. Not long after that, he couldn't wait. He could not go fast enough. And it says not long after that, he went at a great distance, he went as far away as he could. He could not leave fast enough, and he could not go far enough. Sounds a lot like Albemarle, right? I can't wait till I get my diploma. I am gone, right? I can't go far enough. I don't even know if I like California, but I'm going to go to college there. Why? It's all the way across the country from this place. He could not leave his home fast enough, and he could not go far enough. And it says he went a great distance away from his father, and he squandered his share. Verse 15, verse 13 says he squandered his wealth in wild living. A couple Greek words, okay, just to help you understand what was going on here. He squandered. The Greek word for squander means to, to dispense and to scatter abroad, okay? We don't even know what that means because this was agricultural stuff, and we don't do agricultural. So can we just bring that into today's terminology and say that the younger son got his one-third of the estate. He went as far away from his dad as he possibly could, and he made it rain, right? He just scattered that stuff all over the place. He's just making it rain, making it rain. And then because he makes it rain, what happens? There's a storm, right? And how it happens, it says that a famine hit the land. He squandered all 
of his wealth and wild living. The Greek word for wild, this blows my mind, is shamelessly immoral. It's the only time it's used in the Bible is right here. Like, okay, full disclosure, I was raised in church, okay? I know not everybody was raised in church, but I, I, if, if church doors were open 20, 20 times a week, I was there. My dad was like, we're going, we might not be happy, but we're going to church, right? We were in church. If it was open, we were there. Now, a lot of people, that's not your story, but that's my story. So when I, when I see terms like shamelessly immoral, I cannot relate to that. Because I did immoral things, but I was embarrassed about doing immoral things. Like, I was like, this isn't right, this isn't right. It's fun, but it's not right. It's not right. It's, but I like it. It's just not right. Shamelessly immoral, whole nother level of sinning. Like, I don't care. I, I mean, this is like drunk and naked running around, right? I don't care. Shamelessly immoral, I don't feel bad. It's, it's, I'm doing bad things, and I don't even feel bad about it. And he squandered. He went through his entire one-third of the estate living like that. And verse 14 says, the famine came after he'd blown through his resources. Isn't that the way it always works? If you're trying to live on a budget and you splurge, I guarantee you the next week you're getting a bill for something you did not expect. Guarantee it. And in the minute you get the bill, what's the first thing you think? Oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that because I could really use that money right now. If I had known this was going to happen. But, see, that's the way it always works. Look, you squander, we squander through stuff, and then the bill comes for something else. And that's exactly what happened with this guy. Now, verse 15, you're going to hear a lot of people say a lot of things about this boy. He's a, he's a jerk. He's, like, shamelessly immoral. He's making it rain. He doesn't care. He doesn't love his dad, blah, 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 blah. But the one thing they can never say is that he's lazy. Because what did he do when he ran out of money and the famine hit? Verse 15 says, he went out and got a job. Like, so we know that nothing else, he's a hard worker. He went out and got a job. The problem was the job that he got was the worst possible job you could get as a Jew. Feeding pigs. Like, in the Jewish culture, they didn't eat pork because pigs were disgusting. I don't know how you feel about it right now. You might think pork's bad too, but bacon. Can we just say that? Bacon. But they thought pigs were, were, were evil. They thought they were unclean. If you, if you couldn't be around them. And so he's so desperate, the only job he can find is feeding pigs. And not only is he feeding pigs, but as he's feeding the pigs, he's thinking, God, I wish I could eat what I'm giving them. And what he was giving them was nasty. Can I just give you a life tip? When you find yourself wanting to share a meal with a pig, you're not in a good place, okay? And that's where this guy is. He's feeding pigs, wishing that they would share. But pigs don't share slop. They just eat it. And he wanted to eat it too. Man, this was a dirty job. This was dirtier than, like, I love Mike Rowe's Dirtiest Job. Anybody watch that show? I love that, right? But, like, Mike Rowe ain't touching this one, right? This is dirty. So he's got a dirty job. He's got no money. He's far from his dad. He's far from home. He's far from everything he's known. And he's broken. This young son is broken. Now, we can do a lot of things when we're broken. 
And I love verse 17, because when he was broken, something amazing happened, and I've been praying all, like for two months I've been getting ready for this message. I've been praying for the prodigals in this place, that you would do the same thing that this boy did when he was broken. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, and we are, we're an educated society, right? I mean, different levels, but we, we value education, we, we like thinking, right? Like, you know, you don't want to hear your surgeon talk with a redneck's accent, right? Well, today what we're going to do here is cut your head open. Now, we like value education, right? And so when we read things like when he came to his senses, we think, oh, he got edumacated. He read some books, a self-help book on how to make your life better, three easy steps. He corrected his thinking, he finally saw the light. We, th- we see it all through the brain, right? But what that literally means is he came to himself. And that's about identity. He remembered who he was. He came to himself, and he was like, what? I'm not a pig slop feeder. I, this is crazy. Like, my dad owns something back home. I could be with him right now. I mean, I'll just go back and be with him just even as a servant. This is not me. And I've been praying some of you that are in this situation, you're broken. You don't know what to do, how to fix it. The first step is to realize this is not who I am. I'm better than this. He had reclaimed identity. And when he did reclaim his identity, I love verse 18. He starts rehearsing what he's going to tell his dad, right? I'm going to go back and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I've made some mistakes. My priorities got a little bit out of whack. I've made some bad choices. Is that what he said? No, like he said the S word, right? I have sinned. Like when you reclaim your identity, you see things clearly and you call things for what they are. I have sinned. What I'm doing right now is sin. I'm far from my father and I'm going to go home and repent. And so verse 19 He says, I'm going to tell my dad this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what he's really saying is a father like you deserves better than a son like me. Can we just be really, really honest right now? It's so easy to think that God loves us on our good day and hates us on our bad. It's so easy for us to, have you ever prayed that? God, you're just, you can't use me. You're so good and I'm so bad. I, I used to tell God, like, my prayers would go something like this. God, today, surely you want to put me up for adoption. You could not want a son like me. But he does. And this son decided, in his broken condition, I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a heart. I just want to be, even as a slave, I just want to be near you. And in verse 20, um, If you are in the American church, you should get a pen out and circle these words, okay? In your Bible, here's what it says, verse 20, so he got up. Hallelujah. Go on, Medea. Hallelujah, right? He got up. Like, listen, if there's anything that characterizes church today, it's talking all the time and doing squat. Like, he formulated a plan, and then he did it. I love that. Like, the church would be so much better if we simply did all the things we think about doing, the, the good things. <laughs> Sorry, let's, the good things, right? 
We think, we talk, we study, we read the Greek, we look it up, we get in community group and talk, 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 and do nothing. This boy got up. He did something. He moved, and he went to see his father. Verse 20 is where we meet the father. And if the, if the younger son is a broken arm, the father is open arms, right? We've already seen this. When his younger son disrespected him and said, give me my share of the inheritance, even though the father was not dead and the son was like the whole godfather thing, you're dead to me, right? Even though he was treating him like that, what did the father do? He actually gave him his share, and he let him go off and squander it. And so he's, he's, he's a gracious father. He's a giving father. We already know that. In verse 20, it says that his father saw him. While he was still a long way off. Why, I can ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Why did the father see him when he was a long ways off? Because he was looking for him. It's, it's, it's that simple. Here's a father who was always looking for his lost son. Listen, you've got a heavenly father who sees you from a distance. He doesn't make us. Return all the way. I love what it says. He went home. His father saw him. And so his father was filled with compassion and ran to his son. He ran to him. The grace of God always outruns the brokenness of man. Always. 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 In that culture, men didn't run. I know today men don't always run either, but it's a fitness thing, not a cultural thing. They didn't run. They were dignified. But he saw his son, and he picked his robe up and tucked it into his tunic. I'm so glad we don't wear these things anymore. And he took off running, right? He took off running. Listen, James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And we think this in our head, right? We think 50-50 because that's how we are. We'll get that in a minute. We think, if I draw near to God, then God will meet me halfway. That's not how it works at all. Here's how it works. We draw near to God, he's there. That's how it works. We draw, he's there. He always overtakes us. He always outruns us. The, the mercy of God always outruns the brokenness of man. Always, always, always. We see it here. And the reason that he did that is because it says he was moved with compassion. He was filled with compassion. And, and you got to know, like, compassion, um, and, huh, I got I to gotta make sure you understand this. It's kind of weird. But, like, in that culture, when, it, when the word compassion to be filled with compassion, that meant he was moved in his bowels. Yes, those bowels, right? Like, that's so disgusting. In this culture, they believed that, like, this, like we believe, like, your heart is everything, right? I love you with all my heart. And that's where you feel emotion and your will and decisions. But they believed all that happened in the bowels, it's like when it says you're moved with compassion, it's because he was mo like moving. He was moved with compassion. It's gross. It's, it's just like, can you imagine Valentine's Day then? Giving people a, a card, and what do you draw on the card? Not a heart. It's that emoji thing, right? Like, that, that, like I love you with all my poop. <laughs> you move me. He's filled with compassion. And so what does the Bible say? Because he's filled with compassion, compassion moves. And so he moves towards his son. It literally says he ran to his son. I guess you could say that he had the runs as he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
I love that. He's not afraid of what it looks like. And here's the, here to me is one of the best parts of the story. The son begins to tell the dad his speech that he wrote earlier. Remember we read that? He wrote, he wrote a speech earlier. Like when I get there, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. And so he says this. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's when the father interrupted him. Did you catch that? We don't have time right now, but like verse 21 and then um, I think it's verse 18 and 19 is when he was rehearsing it. If you compare those, he didn't get to say his whole speech. The father stopped him when he said something about identity. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And dad's like, whoa, time out. Hold up. Quick, quick, quick. Get the robe and bring it. Get the ring and bring it. Sandals for his feet. Now, quick, do it now. Because the father wasn't going to listen to any talk about how he wasn't worthy to be his son. Because you're not a son because you're worthy. You're a son because you're a son. The robe meant that he was back in the family, royalty. The ring meant authority. You know what the sandals meant? Luxury. And it was another sign that you were in family because in that day, servants did not wear sandals. Only sons did. I mean, this father is screaming to his son, you're my son. doesn't matter what you've done. You're mine. You're my son. Verse 23, the father was a celebrator. Open arms, receiving people back home. And what does he say? He says, let's party. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. If, this, if the story could have just ended at 24... The last sentence says, so they began to celebrate. If it could have just ended there, we'd be like, pack it up. God is good, even when we're bad. I love it. This is fantastic. Even I'm going to come to the altar today. But Jesus didn't end it there. And why did he not end the story there? Because he was not telling the story to show us those two. He was telling the story to show us the older son. Because who's he telling the story to? Proud religious Pharisees who were talking about him because he was eating with younger sons. And so if a broken arm is a younger son and an open, open arms is the father, then surely this third son, this, this older son has got to be crossed arms. We meet him here, verse 25. This older son is meanwhile, he's out in the field, and when he came near the house, so he's a hard worker as well. He got two-thirds of his dad's estate, but he's still working. I love that. He didn't buy the lottery ticket and then go broke a year later, right? He's working hard. He comes in, and he hears partying. He hears music and dancing. So he calls one of the servants and asks him, what is going on? And look at verse 27. What you're going to find here is the servant's going to tell him two things, but he's only going to hear one. We don't have time to go there now, okay? But we live in a very offended nation. Would you agree? Like, everybody's offended about everything. I'm offended about your offense, right? It's crazy. We are so jacked up. One of the ways that you can tell that you're offended by something is when you have selective hearing. You only hear what you want to hear or what validates what you want to believe. And so he says to a servant, why is there partying? Why are they having a party? And I really believe this. I think that he was thinking and hoping that they were setting up a party for him. 
Like today is my day. My dad is throwing me a you're the best worker I've ever had party. And so he's like, why all the music? Like what's going on? And he said, well, listen, your father is throwing a party for your son, for your brother who is back. Your brother who used to, who we thought was dead is alive and your dad's throwing a party. And all he heard was dad's throwing a party. And it's not for me. He got so mad, he refused to go in. And in verse 28, we find the father, the very father who was always looking for his younger son to come home, we find that father going out to talk to this son. Your father is always looking for you. It doesn't matter if you're a broken younger son or a really proud, stubborn older son. Your father's always looking for you. And the father goes out and he begs his older son to come in. And I just want you to, just to hear his answer to his father in verse 29. It reveals so much about him. All these years. All these years. I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed. There's a lot of anger there. There's a lot of pride there. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. By the way, how did he know that? He just assumed the worst, right, about his brother. You're either going to believe the best or assume the worst. When he comes home and he squandered your property, you kill the fatted calf for him. Listen. Here's the translation of all that. The older son, the older son said, it's not fair. He doesn't deserve a party. I deserve a party. It's not fair. The older son was focused on fairness more than he was focused on foundness. It's not a word. Don't Google it. It's underlined in my notes right now with a red squiggly line because it's not a real word, but I made it up. We focus on fairness more than we focus on foundness. But listen to this. God's gift of mercy is greater than our sense of fairness. That's, that's I mean, that's the big idea, but that, that's a huge, huge idea. I mean, that will set you free in this society. God's gift of mercy is greater than our sense of fairness. And this older son was so locked into fairness that he missed the mercy that his dad was giving. And look at verse 31. So just like the father reminded the younger son, like, you're my son, you're my son, you're my son. I'm looking at you like you would be a daughter, but you know what I'm saying. You're my son, you're, you're my son, you're my son, you're my son. He says that to the younger one, and we're like, well, of course he does, because that younger one forgot who he was and went out and did all those bad things. But look what he says in verse 31 to the older son. He says, my son, you're mine. My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. He reminds him of who he is. You're my son, his identity. And he reminds him of what he already has. You've got my presence, and you've got my provision. You've always had it. So here, here's what we're going to do, a few, um, few takeaways, right, a few takeaways. I'm not going to talk about these. I'm just going to say them, and you can jot them down if you want to. Um, both sons lost their identity, but only one son found it because only one son remembered who he was. 
Both sons squandered. We think that the younger son squandered all of his, all the wealth and resources, but both of the sons squandered. The younger son squandered his father's resources. The older son squandered his father's relationship. He just saw his dad as a boss. Our sense of fairness will keep us from celebrating God's gift of mercy. The father was ready to receive the repentant. The older son was not. Uh, this next one's huge, okay? If, if you've written nothing down, write this one down. This is huge. Our reaction to the repentance reveals more about our hearts than our obedience to the rules. Here's what it means, okay? The, younger, the older son spent his entire life obeying the rules and was just as far from his father as his younger son who didn't. And when the younger son came home and repented and was restored, the way the older son responded, who does he think he is, revealed that there was never a heart obedience to the father in the first place. Both sons were lost. This is huge for, again, I am a church kid like I was raised. If you were raised in church, and less and less people were in our society, I know that. But if you were raised in church, this is huge because in church, we tend to have a sense of, I know that I needed Jesus, but I'm a little bit better than all those other people, right? That's, kind of, like, that's how we see ourselves. We forget that we never outgrow the gospel. We're all sinners. We all need the grace of God, right? So this, this, this blows me away in this story. How the younger son was, was lost because of wickedness and bad things, but the older son was lost in righteousness. He did good things and was lost. It, it, just insert real quick because I want to make sure I give you this and something else to jot down. If you're looking for a book that you can read, some resources to even dig more out of this, this story, um, I was really helped as I was prepping for this message. Um, even before we were going to do this message like four months ago, I read a, a little short book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to, to purchase that, that story, that book. It's literally that thick. You'll read it in a day even if you're a non-reader. It's really easy to understand. And it sheds so much light on this story. And just things I read in that book, things that I've thought about and mulled over as I've been praying, like that has such an influence on this message. Get that book, read it. And he talks a lot about how the older son was lost in his righteousness. And then the, the last observation is just that we don't know how the story ends. We don't know what the older son did. Like we have no idea, right? I mean, like we know like when the dad and the, and the younger son were talking and like they, they, they hugged and kissed and all that stuff and rings, robes, sandals, and then there was like they turned around to go back into the party because it says they began to celebrate. We know how that ended. And like cue the music, you know, it's beautiful. And if you're into Stranger Things, it took that wicked turn, like, you know, where it's like, oh, that's great. And, you're like, and it focused on the older son. And we have that story about the older son. But it, this part doesn't end neatly like that. All we know is the son, younger son's inside partying and eating a calf. Tons of steak, awesome. You know he did it medium, no doubt about it. Possibly even medium, medium rare. Oh, so good. I'm so hungry. Um, so he's inside eating the calf. There's people dancing. There's music. It's a blast. And all we know is somewhere outside that tent is a dad and an older son. And, like, he's just with his back to the party. He's refusing to go in. And that's how it ends. And I think maybe it ended that way because God wanted to see how we would write the story. 
How, let me ask you this, Gathering. How do we finish the story? We've talked about arms, broken arms and open arms and crossed arms. Let me ask you this. What do the arms of the gathering look like? Which one of those is us? Six years in as a church. Which one of those is us? Can I um, close with a quick story from one of my favorite speakers? His name is Tony Campolo. And he, he tells a story about... Um, He's from Pennsylvania. He's a sociologist from Pennsylvania. And he went out to Honolulu, Hawaii, to speak at a conference. And he says, you know, when you're from Pennsylvania, you fly all the way to Hawaii, the time zones are a little different, right? And he says, so he kept waking up in the middle of the night starving. So he, he woke up one night, it's like 2.30 in the morning, and he's starving. He just wants some breakfast. And he goes walking around. He said, even in Honolulu, it's hard to find a place that's open at 2.30 in the morning that serves breakfast. Um, but he found a little greasy spoon, a little diner, and he walked in. There was nobody in there except for a man behind the counter. His name was Harry. He's like wearing this nasty, greasy T-shirt, big pot belly, you know, just typical cook short order cook guy and his wife was in the back doing the cooking as well and so Tony Campolo said he walks in he sits down at, at the counter and the man's like what do you want and he goes I just want a coffee and some coffee and a donut so he pours the coffee you know into the mug and he's like puts the cigar down wipes his hands grabs the donut no gloves puts it on the plate and Tony Campolo's like I didn't even know what to do, but I was so hungry, I just started eating the donut, right? And he said, I'm just sitting there eating the donut, just made mine of my business. And all of a sudden, I heard the door open and the bell hitting the door. And he said, I turned around, like eight or nine prostitutes walked in and sat down on either side of me, right? <laughs> He's like, so I'm sitting in between these prostitutes, like trying to eat my, my, drink, my, my donut and drink my coffee. And this one starts talking to this one because this prostitute on my right side, she just goes, hey, guess what? Tomorrow's my birthday. And so this per the one on this, she's like, they're talking through Tony Campolo, right? And he's like, it's really awkward. She's like, what do you want me to do? Like, throw you a party? And she's like, I don't mind. I don't really have to be giving me a party. I'm just saying. I've never even had a party in my whole life. I'm just saying tomorrow's my birthday. And he kind of just <laughs> eating his donut, drinking his coffee, kind of knocking him. And eventually they all left. And now it's just Tony Campolo and then Harry and Harry's wife in the back. And Tony Campolo said, um, hey, Harry, like, do those, do those girls come in every night? And he's like, oh, yeah, I like clockwork every night. It's like, tomorrow night they'll be back here? And he goes, oh, yeah. He's like, hey, what do you think about, like, us throwing a party, a birthday party for Agnes? And he said Harry got super excited. He was like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, we should do it. He's calling his wife out. Hey, guess what? Like, this dude wants to throw Agnes a birthday party tomorrow night. And so Tony Campbell says, look, here's what I'll do. I'll come back tomorrow night, 2, 2.30. I'll bring streamers. I'll decorate the place. I'll bring a cake. And Harry's like, no, I got the cake. I'm doing the cake. We're doing the cake. He's like, fine. You do the cake. I'll bring the streamers, right? So he came back the next night, 2, 2.30, and he decorates the whole diner. Streamers everywhere. He made a big poster that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And they had it hanging up where the menu was. He said, somewhere like quarter three, the door opened. He said, somehow the word had spread. He said, every prostitute in Honolulu walked into the diner. So it's wall-to-wall -wall prostitutes. Me and Harry, right? And it's like awkward, and eventually just kind of stand there, the door opens, and there's Agnes. And everybody busts out. They're cheering, going, Happy birthday, Agnes! We love you, Agnes! And she's just standing there. They usher her up to the counter. They sat her at the counter, and Harry brought the cake out and put it in front of her and lit the candles. They all started singing, Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday, dear Agnes. Happy birthday to you. And she's just staring at the cake. 
It was like, blow the candles out. Blow them out. Ah! And Harry blew the candles out. She's just still staring at it. He's like, well, cut the cake, Agnes. Cut the cake. And she finally looked up, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said, would it be okay if I, if I kept it? That's your cake. Do what you want with it. Could I, could I take it and show it to my mom? Oh, sure. Go ahead. And Tony, Tony Kimmel's like, like, how long is that going to take? And she's oh, I just live like two doors down. I've never had a birthday cake. I just want to show it to my mom, and I'll, I'll come right back, I promise. So she walked out the door with her cake, and the door closed. Tony Campos said, man, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Just him and about 40 prostitutes. He said, I didn't know what to do. So I said, let's pray. And he said, in hindsight, maybe not the best move, but at the moment, it's all I could think to do. And so he starts praying. He's praying for Agnes. He's praying that God would save her, that he would give her a hope and a future, that she would come to know Christ. And when he said amen, Harry had this look, and he's like, wait a second. You didn't say you were some kind of preacher. He said, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I'm a sociologist from Pennsylvania. Where do you go to church at? He said in that moment when, if you've ever had this happen, he had the perfect words to say at the perfect time. He looked at Harry, and he said, I Go to a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. That ain't true. There ain't no church like that. I would go to a church like that. That is a church with open arms. And we'll never be that church like this. We'll never be that church if we think we deserve better than everybody else. What I love about this story is that it reminds us of who we are as a church. Can I tell you a couple statements? We are a church who is here for those who aren't here yet. We love one another, but it's not just about us. We're here for people who aren't here yet. We're rescuers who once needed to be rescued. We value God's mercy more than our, our fairness. We value God's mercy more than our preference. And that gives us a heart like the Father to love the city and the world with open arms. Here's how we want to close this morning. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and, and we'll be quick about this, but I want to give you the chance to respond, okay? Can we just for a moment, can we just remove, um, remove the father from the story for a second? Because I think all of us kind of fall into one of those two categories, don't we? The broken younger son or the proud, stubborn, righteous older son. And I just want to give you the chance this morning to both do the exact same thing because what we see in the story is that the Father's looking for everybody, no matter who they are. If you're broken this morning, He's looking for you. If your heart is cold towards the brokenness of other people and their healing, He's looking for you. And I just want to close this morning praying for younger sons and older sons. And if you're here this morning and one of those two has really struck you this morning, 
Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, and I'd like you, you to pray for me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anybody else? We'll just wait a few more moments. Thank you. Thanks. All right, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for the way that you love us, the way that you look for us. If we've learned nothing else over these last nine weeks as we've looked at these three chapters in Luke, it is this. Our Father wants us. He is looking for us. He desires that we would be found. And so, God, we say thank you for that, that you are always looking, always searching. You never call off the search party. We are always in a position to be found by you. And so this morning, God, I pray for those that are here that are broken. I pray that they would know that you are a father who restores. For them, I pray that they would grab a hold of that word quick, that he didn't make the son wait and prove himself or anything. He just said, quick, go get the robe, the ring, and the sandals. I pray that they would sense that this morning, that you would restore to them the joy of their salvation. I pray for those that raise their hands that feel like the older son. God, my heart for, the, for them is that they would be broken with compassion, that they would be moved with compassion towards those who are being found, and that they would begin to sense more and more just a rejoicing, a celebration. God, that, that would be the culture of our church, a culture of celebration when people who are far from God draw near. And I pray there would be peace in their lives as a result of that. I thank you, God, from the bottom of my heart as one who has been both younger son and older, that your mercy always outruns my brokenness. In your name, Jesus. Amen.